Merry Christmas, everybody. It, hear me say this. I love that you just said that. We say Merry Christmas, it seems like, all the time, except when we get nervous, and then we say, like, Happy Holidays, because we don't know what to say, I guess. But, but I love when we say Merry Christmas. And I love when we celebrate Christmas songs and we sing Christmas carols, especially in a culture that's getting more weird about that. But the question I have for you just tonight as we start off is, what does Christmas, this whole season of Christmas, really mean? I mean, what's it all about? If you had to explain it to somebody, hey, I'm going to Christmas Eve services, and they ask, oh, yeah, why? What's it about? Well, you know, it's about singing, and it's about the light is things, and then the pastor preached. But what, what is it really about? I mean, how would you describe that? How would you explain it to somebody? You know, I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, you know, that I could probably summarize the whole reason for the season, the whole message of Christmas, I think, in, in four words. And it would be this that you matter to God. I mean, you really, really do. You matter so much to him because he saw our state. He saw how messed up we are. He saw that there was no way we were going to get to heaven. The scripture tells us that when he sent Jesus, it was reconciling a broken relationship between us and him. A relationship was broken because of our sin. And he sent us Jesus because he loves us, because he wanted to spend eternity with us. He sent us Jesus to provide a way. He sent us Jesus because we matter. We really, really do. And really, if you were to summarize everything in four words, that would be it, that we matter to God. You know, there's a word that we're going to be hearing a lot in the next 24 hours. In fact, to be fair, you probably heard it a lot in the last, I don't know, two months. In fact, they've done studies on this. I think it's kind of funny that they've done studies on this. But studies have shown that the most used word in the season of Christmas Oddly enough, it's no longer Christmas because people don't say Merry Christmas anymore, but it's now the word gift, which I guess makes sense in this kind of materialistic, consumeristic society that we live, especially in America. But, but you know, we've done our part in that. Over the last couple of months, we've frantically searched for gifts. We're trying to find the right gifts at the right price. In fact, Pastor Wayne, uh, a couple of Wednesdays ago, was telling him to us how his grandson not only helped him find the right gift, but also the right price and the right website and the right place to go on the website to get the perfect gifts in case there was any confusion. They wanted to make sure that Grandpa had that information. But we've been looking trying all the while, or maybe not trying so hard, but trying to keep within some kind of gift budget as we try to make this season special. But have you ever stopped to wonder where this gift giving began in the first place? You know, I was doing some research, and not only did I find that weird study, but I also found that way back in the day, in the early church, they began this idea of gift giving because Jesus had given his son to us at Christmas. They also thought it was cool that the wise men brought gifts to worship our king, this newborn king, in the same way. And so they began this tradition of gift-giving on Christmas. And it's one that's continued even to this day. It's one of the things that we embrace wholeheartedly as our culture today. And so it shouldn't surprise you that God really has a gift for you too this Christmas. And the cool thing about God is it's always the same gift and it's always exactly what we need. But it's the gift of Jesus. Now, as you think about that gift, have you ever received a gift within a gift? A buddy of mine a few years ago had some members, they went to Russia, and they brought him back one of those Russian dolls, and so it had Yeltsin on the outside, and on the inside it had Brezhnev, and on the inside it had Stalin, and then on the inside a little Lenin, and I don't know, maybe there's a few more sections of that, I don't know. Or maybe as another example, a couple of years ago, my wife got a pair of gloves, 
we don't use gloves a whole lot in Phoenix, but our hands get cold in the winter here for those three months or whatever, and we go to um, swim meets in the morning, and it's really cold, and so she loved the gloves. And as she put her hand in, she loved them even more because in each finger was a $20 bill, and she goes, I love this gift. This is awesome. <laughs> but, but both of those are just gifts within a gift. And I think that in a similar way, when we get the gift of Jesus, we get even more gifts on the inside. There's so many gifts that are wrapped up in this gift of Jesus that we get to celebrate. And that's really what I want to talk to you about tonight. For when Jesus was born, the angel came and he said this, Don't be afraid. I bring you the most joyful news ever announced. And it's for everybody. Today your Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. And so give glory to God in heaven and on earth. Let there be peace among the people who please God. I think there's a real significant beginning to this whole thing. I mean, the angel's proclaiming Jesus' birth, and the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. I love that. I was talking with a, my, the Wednesday morning Bible class a few, a few weeks ago, um, and we were talking about just the Christmas story, and one of the coolest things that Jesus brings to us, a message that he brings to us is this, don't be afraid. And I want you to think about all the things people are afraid of today. There's a fear of the future, Right? There's fears you look at relationships in your life and they're just not working. You're afraid that they're never going to kind of work themselves out, that they're not going to get better. There's fear sometimes as you look at budgets. There's fear sometimes as you look at your health. There's just all sorts of fear. You turn on the news, there's more fear, you know, things that you can't control. And so I'm going to ask you, what is it that you're fearing this morning, or this evening, I guess? Fearing time, <laughs> whatever. Um, what is it that you're fearing? What is it that keeps you up at night, worried at night? What's been keeping you stressed out lately? You know, all those things are just reflections of the fact that we can't quite trust God with those areas of our life yet. And we struggle with that. And so we try to control it and we don't do so well. And also we start to fear. Or we watch the news and we just don't think that God can intervene or that God can change it or we just don't see him showing up. And so we start to fear. And then in the Wednesday morning Bible class, I was asking, when is it that you fear God the most? And they said, you know, when we're, walking away from him when we're doing something that clearly isn't his will or when we just try to do life by ourselves, we get afraid. And so in the midst of all that, in the midst of our life, in the midst of just recognizing that we struggle with fear, God starts this whole message and says this, don't be afraid. I've got to say, don't be afraid anymore. And it begins that, and, and as you take a look at this, of all the ways that God has come to the earth, he starts by coming as a baby. You know, nobody's afraid of a baby. You know, I, I was reading someplace the other day, it says if God wanted to relate to cows, he would have come as a cow. If God wanted to relate to birds, he would have come as a bird. But he said, I wanted to relate to human beings, so I came as a human being. And you know what, I can relate to that. I can look at Jesus and I can see just how much God loves me. And I can tell a little bit about who God is and how much, he, just what his love's like. And I can tell about what his truth's like and how much he cares about us and that we matter to him. And so he came as a baby because nobody's afraid of a baby. He came into this world the same way that all of us do. But as amazing as that gift as Jesus is, it's kind of a package deal for us. I, I mean, there's kind of gifts within gifts. And there's three in particular tonight that I want to talk about, three gifts that I know that God wants you to have in your lives right now tonight. And he doesn't want you to leave without them. It's the reason he came. It's the gifts that he brings and one of the first gifts that he wants to bring us, and it's going to kind of sound funny, but he wants to bring you the gift of happiness. And I want you just to sit back for a little bit and just think how rare that particular gift is in our lives. 
Not that we don't smile from time to time, but we get so preoccupied with life that even when there's reasons to be happy, and joyful could be another word, we get so caught up with the life that we're living and the problems that we're having and the frustrations that we're experiencing that we don't take time to, to look at the good things and the amazing things. And the joy and the happiness just seems to get ripped away from us all too often. But the angel said when he came, he said this, I bring you the most joyful news ever announced. Imagine the greatest thing you've ever heard, better than that. And so he's just saying, in other words, I want you to be happy. I want you to experience prolonged joy in your life. And I think that's important to state because I think so often God is seen as some cosmic killjoy up in the sky, right? Standing there waiting to give you a bummer, you know, in case you get too happy or trying to make your life miserable in case things go too well. And what's so funny about that is that a lot of people think that. A lot of people think that faith and boredom kind of go together. The church starts at 11 a.m. sharp and it finishes at 12 p.m. dull. You know, that kind of thing. It's boring. And we get this misconception that God doesn't even want us to smile. That if you smile, God's not going to be in it. You know, and I even experienced that as a pastor. My first year in ministry, I was up doing communion. And I love communion. It's where God forgives. It's such a cool thing. We take his body and blood in and just get forgiven. It's, it's cool. And so I smiled. I was just thinking it was cool. I was thinking about all the forgiveness that was going on. After service, an elder came up to me and he said, Pastor Mike, what are you smiling during communion for? I said, because God's forgiving. It's awesome, right? And he was a little took back by that. And I said, isn't that the most amazing thing you've ever heard? And he kind of thought about it. He didn't leave with a smile on his face or anything, but I could tell it was a teachable moment. But we live in that kind of world and I know sin makes us stupid. It just does. It causes us to think in all kinds of weird ways, and then we kind of think, oh, that must be the way it is. But just think about this just for a second. If one of my girls, I have three girls, they came up to me and they said, Daddy, I love you. I want to be the kind of girl that you want me to be. I want to live for you. I want to do what's right. I mean, what do you say to a kid like that? You'd just be blown away, wouldn't you? But would you say something like this? I've been waiting my entire life to hear those words, sweetie, and you're going to regret it. <laughs> You know, if you say you want to do what's right, you want to do what's good, then you're going to sit in the corner and you're going to do math problems all day long because I want you to be smart, sweetie. And you're going to eat spinach at every meal. And I'm going to break your toys just to make you tough. And if you smile, I'm going to break your teeth. Now, would any parent ever say that to their kid? I hope not. It would be horrible. What would you do by saying that? You would rip away all the good feelings that your child has about being your child. You would instill an element of fear that just shouldn't be there. And it's not what you want to accomplish as a parent, I don't think. But as weird as that sounds, it's the way a lot of people look at God today. They think if I really come to God and I say, God, I want to, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to receive your son Jesus into my life in a real way this time. God, I, I want him to be Lord of my life. What, life's been so hard without him. It's been too hard just trying to figure it out myself. I, I would need you to kind of lead me. I want to do what you want me to do. And, and, and you know, you, you say stuff like that, and you just think, oh, so many people think, God would just be up there in heaven going, ah, I've been waiting my whole life to hear you say that, and now I'm going to make you miserable. And they think the Christian, being a Christian is miserable. I, I, a buddy of mine went to the, the bank the other day, and the, the person at the counter says, hey, you look like a pastor. And he says, oh, no, I have the flu. I'll get over it, you know, those kind of things. But God comes in a different way today, and he says this to us tonight. I come to give you great news of great joy. And the first gift that he wants to give you today is the gift to be happy. Jesus said it this way. He says, I came to give you life, life in all of its fullness. 
And so enjoy it. God wants you to make the most of your life. He doesn't want you to squander it. He doesn't want you to waste it, to abuse it. He wants you to make and live life to its fullest. He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to be able to enjoy the things that he's giving you in this life. He wants you to give you the gift of happiness. And so often that's a choice, isn't it? To focus more on the positive and less on the negative. To experience the true gifts that God has given you in your life. But it doesn't just stop there. He gives us, too, another one. He gives us the gift of hope. And hope, too, if you're, if you're being honest, is somewhat elusive more and more in our society. You turn on the news and do you feel more hopeful or hopeless? And again, you can look at your budget or you can look at your health. And there's lots of times in our lives where we feel that sense of hopelessness, that sense that God isn't there. And yet tonight when the angels announce that Jesus is here, he says, today your Savior was born. I got a Christmas card a few years back, and it said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. And if our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an economist. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness, and so he sent us a Savior. I love that term, Savior. It's a, it's a word we use a lot in church. It's a word that's in the Christmas story. But it's a word that seems to have less and less meaning as time goes on. Because more and more I meet people and I talk with people that they don't know exactly what they're being saved from. You know, if you're out in the middle of the ocean and you saw sharks and somebody threw your life preserver and wheeled you into the boat, you'd be really thankful. You said, you saved me from those mean things. I didn't like that. That was great. Thank you very much. When we think about Jesus so often, we forget what it means to be saved. We kind of don't know what it is that we've been saved from. And so what does salvation mean? What is it to be saved? And as you go to Scripture, it just essentially means three things. One of the first things it means is that you get forgiveness for your past, forgiveness for everything that you've done wrong in your life. And it's forgiveness. It's forgiving a debt, a debt that if we were going to have to pay it, would mean we would have to go to hell. And so God sent us Jesus to save us from going to hell. It's the most amazing, greatest gift that you could ever imagine because we were all headed there and Jesus said, no, if you just believe in me, if you just trust me, we'll go to heaven. It's amazing, it's incredible, it's why we celebrate in the way we do. But it's not just that, he goes on. It's also to give you freedom over so many of the problems that mess up your present. It's, it's not just being forgiven and allowing then your past to be past, and so now you can move forward un, unencumbered by the guilt and the manipulation and all the different things that people try to throw at you to keep you behaving in certain patterns because of your past. But it also gives you a freedom of perspective of realizing that I can move forward with God's help this time, and I don't have to keep repeating the past. It gives you a strength to deal with the problems in a new way. And he also gives us this Fulfillment in eternity. It's just heaven, right? Heaven in all of its glory, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful, and God's just saying, I want to spend eternity with you. And so it's this forgiveness, it's this freedom, it's this fulfillment. That's what it means. And so how do you let God save you? What does it mean to be saved? It means you let God give you every one of these. You let him forgive you for your past. You, you, you let him give you freedom for your present and the strength that comes from that. And you, and you let it give you heaven. And when he gives you all those things, you do the craziest thing. You just say this, thank you. Thank you, God, for saving me. I sure didn't want to go to hell. 
And, and you know, we picture those sharks and how scary that would be. Hell's way worse. And so if you're going to thank him for anything, thank him for that. And thank him for the strength to help you make it through each day of your life and to give you hope on the other side of that. And thank him for heaven. These incredible things. And it's interesting, when I think of this word saving, I always get this kind of vision of a lifeguard. And, and if you've ever watched a lifeguard in the ocean, it almost seems kind of mean, right? They swim out to where the guy's struggling, and the guy's like flailing all around, and they just kind of tread water, watched them. And you think, well, help him, help him. But if they help him at that point, if they try to grab hold of him when he's flailing all around, trying to save himself, usually what they do is they pull the saver down, and now you're both in trouble. So what they're taught to do is to, to swim out there to where the guy is and let them flail around and try everything that they're going to try until they're just about out of energy. And when they're just about ready to give up, start to go down, it's real simple. You just put your arm around their neck and you swim back to shore. And I think there's a parallel in that. And the parallel is this. As long as you're trying to save yourself, God, he can't save you. As long as you're thinking, I can work this all out by myself, I can solve all my own problems. I've got all my own plans. I don't need God. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody else's wisdom. I'm my own boss. And just to be honest, there's a lot of people walking through life like that. God says, go right ahead. Try to live that way. But he says, notice the frustration you have and the tension and the stress and the anger that comes up in your life. Notice the worry and the guilt and the bitterness and the depression. He goes, where do you think you get all that? From trying to do my job, from trying to do God's job. So God comes to us tonight on all nights, and he says, guys, I want you to relax just a little bit. I've got this thing called life. I just, I need you to trust me a little bit more. And so the angels proclaimed, unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And he's saying to us tonight, just trust me. Just follow me. Because I got this. And if you trust me, I promise you, we'll get to the other side of this. We'll make it better. And with that, it just means that you never have to go through a time in your life without hope. Without hope in a God for whom nothing is impossible. And with all the negative swirling around today and with all the negative in our life, that's a huge gift. But then there's one more, and it's the gift of harmony. And I thought for a long time harmony meant that I could sing better. And I was hoping that because I wanted to sing in the praise team. But they've assured me that that is not what the gift means. And I've been encouraged not to sing. So anyway, it apparently means the gift of peace. In fact, that's what the angel said. Let there be peace among the people. In other words, God wants you to have good relationships. He really does with other people and not just him. He says, I want you to get your act right with me, your, 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 your life right with me. But then I want you to go out to the people in your life. And I want you to make that right too. It's the gift of reconciliation. And during this time of year, you see all kinds of movies on TV about reconciliation. In fact, I think the whole Hallmark channel is just made up for that. My wife is a huge fan, and every once in a while I get intrigued. And yes, it's sure enough, it always has the same theme. Somebody's reconciling with somebody. It's a time to break down barriers, to build bridges, to restore relationships, to, to repair what is broken and damaged. It's a time to say, I'm sorry. It's a time to say, you're forgiven, or will you forgive me? And even one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, Home Alone, it still had those same themes running through, right? There was a reconciliation of the neighbor with his kids. There was a reconciliation of the mom with the child. Even that crazy band that was coming, there was some reconciliation in them going home for Christmas and seeing their kids. And the reality is those shows sell during Christmas 
Because for a lot of people, when Christmas comes, it's just a very tense time. Because it means dealing with relatives that they have unresolved issues for. And guess what? During Christmas, they all show up and surprise, you've got to deal with them. And so Christmas has always been a time for reconciliation. Not only to get your act together with God, but then to get your act together with those people in your life that he's called you to love. And so he says this. First, you get peace with God, which comes through forgiveness. And the strength that comes through that and the hope that comes through that. And once you've got peace with God, then you get the peace of God, which is that peace and that strength and that hope. And once you've got the peace of God in your life, then you can have peace with other people because it gives you that perspective and that strength to actually make things better. Paul says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. But I know some of you are listening to all this and you're saying, that's true, Pastor, I get it. But you just don't know what they did to me. I could never forgive them. They have hurt me too bad. And I'll just say to that this. Well, duh. And I know that's not exactly what you thought I would say, but it certainly expresses why we need Jesus in our life, doesn't it? Human forgiveness and love, it just wears out. It runs out so fast. Why do you think the divorce rate is so high in our culture today? As a culture more and more leaves God, what's left? It's just us. It's just our own strength, our own energy, and then that runs through fast. You have God who's preaching forgiveness and love and sticking with it and trying and working to the other side and hoping, and you got us, which is me first. And so you got relationships all over the place that are falling apart because, well, we're just running out of that ability to love, and so it shows you why you need more of God's love in your life. Because God's love never runs out and it never runs dry, and there's always another supply and when you get filled with that love, you start relooking at your society and your world, and you start relooking at your relationships, and you start loving people on his power. And you start saying, Lord, I, I need you to love that person through me, but right now I need your strength to do it. I read about a guy the other day, got a Christmas gift, it said 49 years ago, and he still hadn't opened it. And can I tell you, I just think that's like the dumbest thing ever, okay? I mean, just imagine you gave me a, Chris, a gift for Christmas, and I put it under my tree, and you come by my house, whatever, six months later, and you notice I just have it in the corner, just sitting there, and you're like, how'd you like my Christmas gift? And I said, oh, it was awesome. I, I, I mean, just truth be told, I haven't had a chance to open it yet, but I just thank you so much. That was just so incredible. You'd be like, my gift not good enough for you? I mean, what's going on? And you think I was nuts. Why is that gift in the corner unopened? The reality is, I think too many of us go through Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, surrounded by gifts, but never unwrapping the gift that it's all about, the gift of Jesus, and the hope and the happiness and the harmony that are wrapped up in this newborn king. So I challenge you all this Christmas to open up the gift that God has for you, to experience Jesus in these ways, to let him in to trust him more. And may that change the way you look at Christmas. It may not just give you a merry Christmas, but a happy Christmas, a joy-filled Christmas, a hope-filled Christmas, a peace-filled Christmas. It may change the way you look at the people in your life and the way you look at some of the problems in your life. It may change the way you look at Christmas. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much, and, and tonight is just a, an amazing time for us to remember, to remember how much we matter to you. I mean, we can go through life feeling and getting into these pity party moments, but Lord, you showed us without a doubt 
how much we matter to you, how much you care about us individually, how much you want to spend eternity with us. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for that kind of persistent love, that kind of love that would give up your own child for us. Father, this Christmas, help us remember. Help us remember that love and the hope and the peace and the joy that comes from it. And we pray that today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.